Take your Bibles, if you would please, and turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 10 this morning. The Gospel of John chapter 10, as we worship our wonderful, merciful Savior. You know, it's funny how, not humorous, funny, but ironic, how those words have become especially pertinent to us in difficult and challenging times. But it ought to be our same song and celebration in times of blessing. We have a wonderful, merciful Savior that's not tied to time or space. He's not tied to events. He's not tied to your circumstances or my circumstances. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the sovereign God who knows the end from the beginning. And no matter what is happening in your life, in our world, or in our culture, we are living in a season of hope and promise because of Christ alone. That's why we worship. That's what gives meaning to the season. That's what brings us to this place of celebration. And when we talk about this season of hope and promise, it brings us to this notion of Christmas and what all of that seems to entail in the context of much of what's happening in our culture today. Over the course of this past week, over the course of this past weekend, there were difficult and challenging events in people's lives represented here at First Baptist in Johnson City. It's tornadoes that swept across the Midwest and the central southern states that left devastation at a particular time of year that it is so much more difficult to recover from that. We have a government who has now stepped in and tried to squelch any kind of seasonal celebration. I'm here again to tell you, I told you so. There's an evil that prevails in our world, a control over our lives, uh, an uncontrol over our lives when we're left to just deal with whatever things are put on our plate and whatever happens to us in our life. And sometimes within that context, we need hope and encouragement. The past three months, as I was considering where to go in the context of this seasonal celebration and uh, the thing called the holidays, the Lord brought me to a place of of wanting to focus on the celebration of Christ, not the holidays, not the fanfare, not all of the extra substance things that we bring to the holiday, but on the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Gospels of Matthew and throughout the Gospels, we're reminded that this same Jesus who was born in a manger is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Son of the living God. And Matthew in particular reminds us that He has come to save His people from their sins. How interesting as fundamental Baptists, then maybe you don't like that word, uh, conservative evangelical, maybe you don't like that word either. How interesting as Christians that we need to be reminded of the depravity of man and the fallen nature of the world in order to direct our attention to the fact that we ought to be celebrating Christ and not living day to day with the circumstances of life. We talk about depravity. I'm not sure we really mean it. 
We're expecting good in people when the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. None that understands and none that seeketh after God. We look at government overreach, and we look at the complications of life, and we say, well, how did this happen? And we fail to understand because there's a prevailing evil in the world, and the prince and the power of the air, Satan himself, is seeking to disrupt and dissuade and to turn hearts away from the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. But no matter how deep the depravity and how broad its implications for those who know Him, for those who understand the reason for the season, for those who understand hope and promise in Christ alone. No matter what happens, they cannot take our joy, and we will not cease celebrating for our King reigns. And you say, but Pastor Jim, sometimes this becomes deeply personal. Again, in this last few months as I was talking about this, praying and searching my heart, the Lord seemed to lead me to this text in John chapter 10. Although we could make some obscure connections to the Christmas season and become creative, there is no need to do that. We will let the Scripture speak for itself, but knowing what I know today that I didn't know months ago, what a timely message, and what a timely passage as we celebrate Christ in all of His glory and goodness, no matter what the world has brought your way. Pray with me, please. Father, I would ask… As we spend time in Your Word this morning, as Your Spirit takes that Word and applies it to our lives and to our situations, to our culture, and even to this body, that indeed You would find us celebrating a Savior, celebrating Christ in all of His goodness, celebrating the reality that no matter what is happening in our world, a better day is coming. And as we celebrate the words of Christ, being reminded that Jesus always spoke in an eschatological component of nature. Forgive us from thinking that You came to give us a better life today or to fix all of our problems and circumstances. No. There is a fix, and there is an end to the story that is more glorious than we can even imagine. But life in a fallen world is difficult and hard and challenging, may it never take our joy. May it never rob us of our peace. May it never remove the security that we have in Christ. May we be reminded by the words of this text, intensely personal words that this indeed, no matter what the circumstances of life, is a time for celebrating Christ. And I pray that You would teach us all to do that in Your own unique way, in our own unique circumstances. No matter what the cloud might be that hangs over the season, may You find Your people celebrating Christ and all that He's done. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We come to this passage of Scripture. Jesus is coming to the end of His 
public ministry. And as he's ministering to the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious of the day, as he's ministering and speaking to his disciples who are hearing and listening and seeking to decipher who is this Christ. We find ourselves in John chapter 10, and you're probably familiar with this passage as the passage that identifies and exposes us to the good shepherd. The word shepherd, according to John MacArthur and other commentators, is one of the most endearing and intimate titles of Christ. It is a direct result of the picture of the shepherding that took place in that land of Palestine and surrounding areas at the particular time that Jesus was speaking and in the historic context of of John chapter 10. Sheep, in particular, were wanderers by nature. Sheep, in particular, were needy by nature. Sheep, in particular, needed to be led They needed to be protected. They needed to be preserved. They needed to be taken care of. Boy, were they a needy bunch. It reminds me of God's people today. So as John paints this picture through the words of Christ and his ministry of presenting himself to these religious leaders who were continually asking the question, who are you, and trying to bait him into making claims and proclamations that they could ultimately use against them. Jesus expounds about being the good shepherd, and even beginning in verse 10, He says, truly, truly. He says to these religious leaders, He says to His disciples, He says to those listening, now pay attention, this is really important. So I say to you, pay attention, this is really important. And I wonder if particularly in the day and age in which we live, Jesus presents Himself in all of His tenderness and His care for His sheep. He reminds them that He will protect and He will feed and He will bless and He will lead. This term shepherd can be traced back even to the prophecies of Messiah in the Old Testament and even the passage of Scripture that we are currently studying in First and Second Peter. For in Ezekiel chapter 34, we read, I will set up them over one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Jesus is announcing that he is indeed the fulfillment of that prophecy. Micah says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. And he, and he talks about this ruler in Israel and, and, and this ancient of days, and, and he talks about the time in which he shall arrive. And in this prophecy, he talks about this shepherd who will shepherd his flock and the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord our God. As he's speaking to these religious leaders and his disciples who were very familiar with these Old Testament prophecies, he is saying to them in very clear language, I am that shepherd. I am the one that they spoke of. I am the one that they promised you of. I am the very one who has come to rescue. Zechariah chapter 13 says, Awake, O sword against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. That is the very near future for those listening and being instructed 
by the words of Jesus in John chapter 10. You see, it was critical that they had embraced him as this good shepherd and understood all of the theological implications of that, for there was a time coming when the world would unravel, and it was only this hope and promise and the words of Christ that could sustain them, so pertinent for the season that we find ourselves in. And of course, as we studied First Peter, we were reminded in chapter 2 that we were all like straying sheep who have been returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. And in chapter 5, a reminder that this is not my church, and make no mistake, it's not yours. This is the church of the living God, the Savior of the world. He is the chief shepherd. And it's not anyone here who can rise up and sustain us in the season that we're in. It is He and only He. Why? Because He is the good shepherd who lays down His life for the sheep. Packed into this marvelous text, there's so many different avenues that we could go down and so many different emphasis that we could make within the context of the text. We must be careful of not reading too much into it, and there's always a tendency to do that. So as we refrain from that and understand that he is speaking to Israel, but also giving them a hint that he would reach to the Gentiles and they both would become part of this sheepfold, he is, he is presenting himself as Messiah and conquering king, looking forward to his ultimate sacrifice as this wonderful, merciful Savior. And he says in verse 28 or 27 of this passage of Scripture, these most familiar words, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And in verse 30, he states, I and my Father one. This is what the religious leaders were hoping that he would say, that he would slip up and they would have a reason to bring cause against him. Yet at the same time, this is the very same thing that his disciples needed to hear him say, that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the Son of God in the flesh. He is the good shepherd who will lay down his life for the sheep, and no one will be able to pluck them from the Father's hand. As we look at this simple text and try and understand all of the glorious implications of it, you go back into the text prior to this, and, and he gives some specific explanations for some of the things that he says in verses 27 to 29. But as we look at this text this morning and focus on the words of, of Jesus, it's important that we understand the context of, of, of what was happening, the religious nature of the culture at that point in time, the season that they found themselves in, and the needs that they were experiencing that were so far behind their temporal existence, but they didn't even know it. They weren't even 
aware of it. And this is why it's important, as we studied last week, that we celebrate Christ and not the holidays, that we celebrate the person and work of Christ and not the pomp and circumstance of the holidays, that we focus in on under, and understand that indeed this is a season of hope and promise, not because of that season, but of whom we place our hope and of whom we receive our promises. Jesus is walking this line in His public ministry, is presenting Himself as the good shepherd of speaking clearly to those who had no intention of hearing His words, and speaking to those who were in great need of hearing His words. And they would come along and they would say, well, we'll say plainly. And Jesus said, I told you plainly. And the reason that they didn't hear is because they were not part of the sheepfold. There's a dire understanding of the text. Well, they were religious. They were, quote-unquote, spiritual. They were in charge and in control, but they were not part of the fold. And as he begins to wind down some of his comments before he presents himself as one essence with God himself… He says unto them, my sheep, hear my voice, and I know them. Do you understand the implications of what he's saying? There are some of you listening to me today who are my sheep. There are some of you listening to me today who are not of my sheep. He would say in another place, your father is the devil. You are doing all of the right things. You're celebrating all of the right things, but your heart's are far from me. When Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, He is giving reality to the nature of the call of God to salvation. The Bible teaches us very clearly that we are called to salvation through Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross of Calvary. We're going to be reminded in the Gospel of Matthew and in other places that all that the Father gives Him shall come to Him, and whoever comes to Him shall in no wise be cast out. And you and I must understand within the context of this good shepherd, as his disciples needed to understand, as that they were called by the Father through Jesus Christ, and they heard the voice of the Savior, the good shepherd, because God opened their ears. Whenever we talk about this kind of stuff, there is this crazy confusion that goes on in a lot of your minds. We want to run down this rabbit hole of saying, no, I chose him. No, you've heard his voice because he opened your ears, and he chose you before the foundation of the earth. You say, Pastor Jim, how is that possible? Well, you have to take that up with him because I cannot reconcile the two in my mind. He says, whosoever will may come, but you hear his voice and you know Him from eternity past. As He's speaking to His disciples, there were those who heard His voice as He was speaking right now, but they were not part of the sheepfolds. Their ears were shut to the message of the Master. And as He speaks to them these words of hope, He is talking about that divine call to salvation. I remember it in my life. I couldn't explain it to you. But I could remember where God was moving in my heart 
and giving me a brokenness for my sin and pointing me toward a Savior, and I wasn't looking for any of that, thank you. Because of, I was one of his sheep, I heard his voice. I heard his voice, and I yielded in my spirit to the Spirit of God that transformed me to the person and work of Jesus Christ. He will juxtapose in the text prior to this. Some people feel that they're hearing His voice, but they're really following false shepherds, those who were not speaking the truth, those who were being led astray. And He's speaking to these religious leaders who are listening to the words that He was sharing with His disciples, the proclamations that He was making in the context of the culture. And as our good shepherd, when we as His sheep hear His voice, we can trust Him to lead us. We can trust Him to walk before us. We can trust Him to protect us. We can trust Him to take us to green pastures. He, we, can trust, we can trust Him to take us to quiet waters. We can trust Him to take us out of the safe confines of the sheepfold as He leads us through the valleys of the shadow of death and teaches us to fear no evil. My sheep hear my voice, and then, of course, He says, and they follow. They follow me. We wrestle with the text and the implication of this text and the season and the celebration of Christmas that we find ourselves Jesus says in verse 7 of this text, truly, truly, remember when He says those words, He's saying this is of utmost importance, pay attention to these things. I am the door of the sheep. It reminds me of what uh, Jesus will say a few chapters later to His disciples in that upper, upper room, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me, except through me find in Acts chapter 4 as they're ministering the gospel from Solomon's porch, and that's a critical tie in connection to this text. The words of the message were crystal clear. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, and we are saved by this good shepherd. And who are the saved? Those who hear His voice and follow him. You notice how within this context of this good shepherd, it isn't those who hear His voice and do whatever they want. There's a lordship component to all of this, and to trust Him as good shepherd is to trust Him with whatever circumstances of life that we find ourselves in. And as we celebrate Christ, we celebrate the reality, as He says in this text, that He has come to give us abundant life. But we must remind ourselves And hear the words of the Good Shepherd from an eschatological perspective. You see, what some of the religious leaders did during this time was to make this all about the temporal, to make it all about today. In fact, these false shepherds were using this this religion as a pretense to, to make themselves big and not to promote or to celebrate the one and only shepherd. 
And when we wrestle with all of these truths and, and understand the context of what He's saying, if we truly trust Him for the very essence of our being, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me, we must follow that trust with a life of obedience and remind ourselves that Jesus is speaking from an eschatological perspective when He makes these precious promises and these select verses out of chapter 10. We'll get there in a minute. But to think that somehow this is temporal, that these words are only for this Christmas season and they'll be gone in January is a false notion. He is speaking about the reality of all time for His people who hear His voice, who trust Him and obey. I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. Look what He says next. And I know them and they follow me. That word know is a very intimate word. It is a, a, a word that connotes the highest kind of love. They understand that I love them and I know them, even in all of their ugliness of life. They know me and they trust me as the good shepherd, and thereby they follow me. The reality is that not only do God's people hear His voice, they know Him through salvation, and they continue in faith and obedience until the day in which this eschatological perspective is finally revealed, and we see Him and become like Him, and finally say, oh, I get it now. I understand. I, I understand. Everything's going to be okay. Sometimes in our churches, we make this so temporal that we give you fleeting promises for today's circumstances that you will be in desperate need of the next time something goes sideways in your life. And it may be an hour, and it may be a day, and it may be a week, but it will go sideways. When we understand what Christ is saying, from the moment we hear His voice until the moment we see His face, He has everything under control, so His people follow Him. Though He slay me, I will do my best to trust Him. How are you doing on that today? Jesus was speaking of the bigger picture, not of that very day in which He was speaking these words on Solomon's porch in the temple. The sheep hear my voice, and I know them. He knows your name. He knows your pain. He knows your circumstance. He knows your loneliness. He knows your story before it becomes your story. And He's got everything under control. He will protect you. He will lead you. He will feed you. He will sustain you. And He will grab you when you're prone to wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. You who are spiritual don't have that issue. The rest of us, it's a battle sometimes. But He's a good shepherd. And he keeps us close. And he calls out, and we know his voice. He knows our story and our name. And we can trust him. He says to those who are hearing this voice and understanding its context, and I give them eternal life. John chapter 10, verse 11, he tells us where that life comes from. I am the good shepherd. 
and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You were dead in trespasses and sin, helpless and hopeless in your lost condition, unable to remedy or do anything about that which separated you from a holy and righteous God. But God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. God was in Christ through the personal work of Jesus Christ to atone for your sins and mine, to pay the penalty of that sin. He was buried and raised again. He's interceding on behalf of the saints even today, and He gives us eternal life. And listen closely. It is a logical inconsistency and fallacy to believe that He gave us eternal life, but somehow we can lose that. Do you understand what eternal means? Do you get it? I give unto you eternal life. End of story. That's that eschatological perspective. Well, I don't feel God today. He knows your name. He knows your story. He has given you eternal life in His Son. It doesn't matter what you feel. Everything's going to be okay. You know why? Because He's a good shepherd. And when we're wandering in the dark, when we're distracted by shiny objects, when we're looking for everything that we already have in Christ, He says, I am the good shepherd. I give unto you eternal life. I know you. Follow me. Follow me. To the religious leaders and those outside of the fold, He is saying clearly, you can't accept the notion of the good shepherd and then go on to live life on your terms, your way. It's, it's one or the other. You know me or you don't. You hear me or you don't. You follow me or you don't. You have eternal life or you don't. But my sheep, they hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. What a glorious context. Stop and think about that. How glorious is this? The truth is, today will turn into tomorrow, which will turn into the next day, but Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. He is the good shepherd. He has given us eternal life, and look at this next glorious promise, and they shall never perish. and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. The promise that we will never perish is assured by the Good Shepherd who holds us in the palm of His hand, clasped with the Father's hand, and nobody can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. If you are one of His sheep, He gives you eternal life, and you shall never perish. It is yours for eternity, and no circumstance, and no person, and no situation, and no season can take that away from you. And you can believe that everything is going to be okay. But you don't get it. Yes, I do. And here's what I get. You are living in a temporal perspective, and you failed to understand that the words of Jesus are eternal in nature and eschatological. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I am the good shepherd. I will lead you and protect you and feed you and keep you, and everything's going to be okay. Well, you might not know 
that was happening in the context and in this situation as this was a particular time of the year. And in this particular time of the year, there were certain remembrances that the nation of Israel were called to remember. One feast that was defined and appointed and anointed and given to the nation of Israel by God Himself. It was the Feast of Tabernacles. It had happened in October, maybe early November, and the Feast of Tabernacles was one of these Old Testament feasts to remind the people of Israel that while they were wandering for 40 years in the wilderness, the Good Shepherd was looking out for them. God was providing for their needs, even in their own disobedience. And as they've come off of that celebration, they have now come to this celebration that is called the Feast of Dedication. Look at verse 22 of the text. And at the time the Feast of the uh, Dedication took place in Jerusalem, it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. Those are really important words, but we are in the month of November and maybe December. Something that happened between the close of the Old Testament canon and the beginning of the New Testament canon in this intertestament period. And what it took in place as a Syrian king had arisen in Syria. He was a ruthless king, Antiochus Epiphanes. And he seized control of Jerusalem and the temple. And as he went in and seized control of Jerusalem and the temple, he caused all of the sacrifices to cease. He made God's people, Israel, worship pagan gods. He offered a pig as a sacrifice on the altar of God, and he set up a statue of Zeus in the Holy of Holies and desecrated God's temple, a political leader who shook his fist at God. In that history, the people of God would not stand for it. A priest by the name of Matthias and his sons raised up a revolt against this Syrian king and the desecration of the temple. Judas Maccabeus rose as a brilliant military leader. And as they fought against this pagan king to restore the glory of the temple, almost three years to the date after the sacrifice of the pig, God delivered the temple back to, to Israel and to God's people. In spite of the fact that Antioch Epiphany sent this large, massive army to quell the revolt, never stand in opposition to the God of the universe. He used a band of priests and this military leader, and they took back the temple three years later. They purged the temple. They rededicated the temple. And they worshiped again in the temple. They established this time frame in December as a day of celebration, a feast of dedication, a time to remember that God gave them an amazing victory and gave back to them the freedom to worship the freedom to sacrifice, the freedom to pursue God and the temple 
in Jerusalem. That's the occasion that's taking place in the Feast of Dedication introduced in this text. Now, interestingly enough, today it's known by the term Hanukkah or the Feast of Lights, the Festival of Lights. Where there are eight separate candles lit during that season of Hanukkah to remind that God is a God who cares for His sheep. He takes care of His own. He protects them and He leads them. And in the worst of situations, He always responds to them and reminds them that indeed He is the Good Shepherd. The religious leaders didn't know, but probably even some of His disciples didn't, but He is taking history and He's living it before their very eyes. He is the fulfillment of that history as the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Messiah that would make all things new. There's a tradition, a rabbinical tradition, that when they retook this temple, that the only thing they found undisturbed in the temple was this sealed jug of olive oil. The only thing still consecrated and not desecrated by this wicked king over this three years. But it was only enough oil to light the candlesticks in the temple for one day. So they took this consecrated oil and they lit the candles in the temple for that one day, and those candles burned for eight days. Now there are eight candles on the menorah to represent that rabbinical tradition that God sustained His people until they could come up with new and fresh and consecrated oil to establish once again the worship and the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus is in that temple in that time of year as they're reminded of God's provision and protection, and He says to those same people, I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one that made all of that happen. I'm the one that you need to trust. I'm the one that will take you from here. I'm the one who knows you. I'm the one that you follow. Jesus is walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. Solomon's porch, if you would, on the eastern wall of the temple, it is supposed one of those only places remaining of the the temple before its destruction that is now still there in Jesus' day. And because it's winter and the rainy season, He's on Solomon's porch, and He's talking about being the good shepherd, and it would be on Solomon's porch that in Jerusalem as they gathered for the Feast of Pentecost that the gospel would be preached, and the tie was the temple on the eastern wall on Solomon's porch where Jesus announced, I am the good shepherd, and Peter says, this same Jesus whom you crucified, He has made both Lord and God. What a, what a glorious thing. That's why history matters. That's why you need to understand the text. He is saying those were temporal victories and battles, but I am here, and I am the good shepherd, and no one shall be able to pluck you from my Father's hand. It doesn't matter what's happening today. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. Some of you need to hear that this morning. This is not about today. It's about the King of kings and Lord of lords and the celebration of a Savior. 
John chapter 6, verse 39, one of the first verses that I memorized in personal evangelism in Bible college. Jesus says, all that the Father has given me will come to me, and he that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. He is talking about the eternal life that you have in Christ alone, and no one will pluck you from the Father's hand. Who are those that the Father brings? The one who hears His voice. The theology is rich and deep and glorious in this text. And the God who has saved you is the God who will keep you regardless of the circumstances of life. No one is able to snatch you out of my Father's hand. Verse 30, I and my Father are one. Look at verse 19 of this text. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon. He's insane. Why listen to him? And others said, these are not the words of one who was oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And the religious leaders say, tell us finally, who are you? He'd been telling them for a long time. <laughs> and then we're hearing him. You know why? Because they, they weren't his sheep. His sheep will never, ever hear his voice. It is only his sheep who hear the voice. This is not a seasonal holiday. This is a celebration of Christ, and it can only be undertaken by His people because we have heard His voice, and we know Him, and He knows us, and we follow Him, and He gives us eternal life. And no matter what happens today or tomorrow, nothing shall pluck us from our Father's hand. And Jesus says, and here's the guarantee, I and my Father are one. He couldn't have spoken any more clearly. I am. the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world. They're connecting the dots. I'm the one that Ezekiel talked about, that Micah talked about, that Matthew talked about. That's me. That's me. The religious leaders are fraught, furious, that he would claim to be one substance or essence with the Father, that he would somehow have the audacity to proclaim that he is the Son of the living God. But if he wasn't, none of these promises are worth the paper that they're written on. None of them. Anyone can say, my sheep hear my voice doesn't mean anything. Anyone can say, oh, nothing will ever happen to you. It doesn't mean he is saying, I'm the sovereign God of the universe, the Son of the living God. I'm speaking in eschatological tones. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you who are in Christ Jesus. He's presenting himself as the good shepherd it's the Savior of the world. Isn't that exactly what Matthew told us 
through the announcement of the angel about this Son, Jesus, and He shall save His people from their sins. This is not some temporal promise of bliss under the sun. This is a promise that when all is said and done, our God reigns, and everything is going to be okay. And if you're in a season that you're just hanging on, you can trust Him, because I and my Father are one. I'm the Savior of the world. In the future, in Revelation chapter 7, when many of this flock gathered around the throne of God, we read, therefore, they are before the throne of God, and they serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence, and they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. And the sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb is in the midst of the throne and will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. I am the good shepherd in all of its eschatological glory. We look at this pandemic. I hear your painful personal stories. I see the grief etched on your face when I see you laboring through the holidays. Is it any wonder that God brought me to this text? Is it any wonder that God brings us to this place to be reminded of things that shall not be shaken and shall not go away? There's a song from City Alight called The Ancient of Days. I just heard this last night for the first time, and I thought, how fitting. The passage of Scripture, the text that God brought us to today, here are its lyrics. Though the nations rage, kingdoms rise and fall, there is still one king reigning over all. So I will not fear, for the truth remains that my God is the ancient of days. None above Him, none before Him, all of time in His hands. For His throne it shall remain and ever stand. All the power, all the glory, I will trust in His name, for my God is the ancient of days." Though the dread of night overwhelms my soul, He is here with me. I am not alone. Oh, His love is sure, and He knows my name, for my God is the Ancient of Days. Though we may not see what the future brings, I will watch and wait for the Savior King. Then my joy complete, standing face to face in the presence of the Ancient of Days. In the words of Jesus, my sheep hear my voice and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one 
will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch him out of the Father's hand. I and my Father are one. May the God of peace, may the good shepherd bring you comfort, promise, security, and hope. Blessing and honor and glory be to him and to him alone. And may you be reminded that it is nothing to do with a season. It is everything to do with celebrating Christ, our good shepherd. And in the benediction found in the book of Hebrews. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do as will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. To Him be glory forever and forever. And God's people said, Amen. I am the good shepherd. May you be blessed. And may we be blessed, Father, not for our creativity, not for our tunnel vision, not by the circumstances of life, but by the promises of the King of kings and the Lord of lords our good shepherd will keep us to the end. May all of the praise and the honor and the glory be to you, and may our worship be nothing but celebrating Christ in this season of Christmas. And to God alone be the glory we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.